everyone, and welcome to Brunch and Learn. I'm your host, Nicole Dillon, and this is a podcast for women who love to brunch, like myself. Here, we talk about two of my favorite topics, brunch, obviously, and the idea that we can learn something new every day. Each episode will interview a new female powerhouse, gab as though we're girlfriends at brunch, and learn something for our brains. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Brunch and Learn podcast. I have a very special guest with us, Jen Glantz. I am so excited to have her. She is a past brunch speaker of ours in real life years ago. Uh, I'm going to hype her up because I've known her for so long. In case you didn't know, she is the founder of a viral business, Bridesmaid for Hire. She is a multiple author. She has her own podcast called You're Not Getting Any Younger and a wonderful Facebook community to go along with this. She has her own coaching business called Jen and Juice, which A plus on that name. (laughs) What else can I say about her? She loves pizza. She, for two years, like packed up and moved and lived in a different city each month. And even before, well, I should also say she is a wonderful teacher and she teaches so many classes about personal branding, public speaking. And I just love that, like, I met you and then afterwards... Like, I found out we're from the same city, Boca Raton, Florida. We're both UCF alumni. (laughs) Go Knights. So it was just kismatic that we, I feel like, met in person. So welcome, Jen. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I was just thinking, I think it's been almost five and a half, maybe six years since we met, which is so crazy because time really, really flies. And it's been just so cool watching your journey, too. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course. I wanted you for a long time. I, I miss talking <laughs> to you and you're so I know. doing so many awesome projects. And also with the pandemic and everything, it's like yeah. so much has been up in the air and it's just, it's been, you know, it's been a crazy time, I'm sure for everyone having to pivot and figure out their work situation. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be on the show and, you know, to all your listeners out there, I guess there's always just something you can think of to pivot and change and especially to work on your own personal brand, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, but I'm a big believer in that, especially right now. Definitely. And I love the, because I feel like you're a very similar person to me because I feel like you started out with your blog of things I learned from, and that's what this podcast is all about. Not only talking about food and brunch, but also learning, learning from each other, learning something new every day. That's what I love to do. I'm very learning focused. And I feel like you've done that with all of your projects and journeys of even your writing, your Instagram, you're always learning something new about yourself and just life. Yeah. And I think, you know, I started the blog, the things I learned from when I had graduated college, I couldn't get a job as a writer. Nobody would accept my writing. So I started the blog and I always thought like, what could I possibly write about for the world? And the only thing I had to think about during that time were all the lessons I learned from what was happening, the rejection of jobs, the rejection in dating, the rejection of just graduating college and not knowing what was going to happen next. 
And I think that's just been a theme that's carried over in my life is like, you never know what's going to happen. You, I don't believe in five-year plans. I think you always have to look at and examine what's going on now and what you're constantly learning from it. And I've just, I don't know why, but I just made a pact to myself that I would always be open and honest with the world when I exposed myself to them via the blog or the podcast or whatever it was. I just didn't see a point in showing up if it wasn't going to be the truth. So that's carried on for, you know, over almost 10 years, which has been really cool. Really cool to see that just expand and grow and show up for people in a pretty honest way. I feel like I did a pretty good hype session on you, but is there anything else you want to add of, about you, what you're working on? Give you yeah, a chance. <laughs> it was so great. I and mean, I was listening. I was like, I forgot I did some of those things. So I was so happy. No, that was a great intro. Thank you for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, how about we get started from a little bit of the beginning? Because I feel like we met in New York City, and I don't know if it was like a day or two before or after you did the whole Craigslist for Bridesmaids for Hire, but it was just like such a a connection there. But I want the listeners to kind of hear maybe that backstory on how Bridesmaids for Hire got started. Of course. Yeah. It was so crazy because I think it was like right around the time that we met. I remember we met at a coffee shop in like Hell's Kitchen area. And right around that time, something really odd happened to me. I was in my early-ish 20s. I had been a bridesmaid for all of my friends. But one night, it was a Friday night, and one night I had two distant friends I hadn't spoken to in a couple of years. Both of those friends, they called me on the same night and asked me to be their bridesmaid. And I thought to myself, why? You know, we hardly speak. We li- One of them, they lived like five blocks from me and I hadn't seen her in years. And I thought to myself, why me? So I went home. I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I went home and I told my roommate, I was like, Carrie, I don't know what is going on, but these two people asked me to be a bridesmaid. And she looked at me and she was like, Jen, you have just become a professional bridesmaid. Like people are asking you because they know you're good at it. And I remember I just felt so frustrated and I just felt so fed up. But I had also remembered earlier that when I went to all these weddings from my friends, something interesting I noticed was that behind the scenes at weddings, things often fell apart and there was nobody there to help. Wedding planners, they are, they are really maxed out. I mean, they are planning the wedding, setting up the wedding, dealing with the vendors. There was nobody there whose job it was to be there for the people, the person getting married, the bridal party. So I just had all of this happening in my head and I was fed up and frustrated. One night I was by myself, went on craigslist.com. I posted an ad offering my services to be a bridesmaid for hire. And it was anonymous. I sent the ad out. And within 48 hours, I had hundreds of emails in my inbox people wanted this service. And after that, within a couple days, I booked my first wedding for Ashley in Maple Grove, Minnesota. And that was when the business started. And it's been exactly six years, a couple of days ago. And I think about that. And I just think my life completely went in a direction I could never have planned. I was a poetry major in college. I was working a full-time job at a tech startup, but I always knew I wanted more. And I always knew I wanted to work for myself. And this idea just came to me because it was a problem I saw nobody solving. And it was a problem in my life that I was asked to do a service that I felt like I should be paid for. I mean, being a bridesmaid is a lot of work. Anyone who's been a bridesmaid will agree with that, (laughs) you know? So that's sort of how the the idea started. I had no business experience. I didn't know what I was doing, but ultimately I tested the idea out by posting an ad on Craigslist. The follow-up question I had was, what is your thoughts on like the landscape going on right now with 
corona, hashtag Corona Brides, uh, virtual weddings, any other shifts or changes, trends you're seeing right now? Yeah, you know, being somebody in the wedding industry for six years, I always like to say I never liked weddings. I never wanted to be in the wedding industry. I started the company because I like the people aspect of it. But it just so happens that in 2020, I am also a Corona bride and I had a wedding planned for October of this year. So I've sort of been able to see it through the eyes of my clients. You know, I had a, a lot of weddings booked this year that unfortunately were postponed or canceled. And a lot of them were coming to me for advice. And I felt like I could give them honest and open advice. I was in a similar position. I feel like if I wasn't in a similar position, I might have just encouraged them to continue on with their wedding plans. But I feel like in order to get married in 2020, if you still want to, you have to think way outside of the box. And I do think virtual weddings, Zoom weddings, you know, that's a great level one idea. People are getting so burned out by being in their homes and seeing an amazing thing happen over the internet. So you know, I've helped people figure out unique ideas, ideas that are like drive-through weddings, like drive-in movie kind of things, ideas that are on the beach where it's a wide open area, you know, things like that where you can still have some sort of wedding in 2020, but it's not going to look like your original idea, which of course is a little bit painful for people to accept. So I do think the wedding industry in particular has had to pivot, has had to change and that's been something that I don't think anyone could have ever predicted. I always thought that people thought the wedding industry was, was safe from everything. Um, but this was the year that rocked it. And good, because I don't think any industry is ever safe. And in order to be in business and be an entrepreneur, I think you always have to think about what next, what could change, and have ideas sort of in the back of your head. I feel like that's always like your process. You, you're creating so many new projects. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yeah, I think, you know what, like, your mind always has to be working. Mm -hmm. And I find that, like, I, I'm the kind of person I always am thinking of ideas. And how I test them is, what can I stop thinking about? And if I can't stop thinking about something for a while, or I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's like making my heart race, have to at least do something with it. And, you know, the thing is, like, I, I have a lot out there. But I have so many other things that failed that people don't even know about, because they didn't even look at it, you know, so it's like, that's the thing about ideas is people who are successful, they're so judged by the things that worked, but it's like, you should see all the blogs, all the things that I tried that maybe 10 people out there ever saw, but you have to put your ideas in motion to see if they work. And then eventually some will stick. And I think to tie in to you being obviously an author, um, what does that process look like for you as a writer and writing? Yeah, so writing's always been in my blood. When I was four years old, I was starting my journey into being painfully shy. I was painfully shy, I guess, from four years old until um, maybe high school. I was painfully, painfully shy. And the only way I expressed myself was writing. So I used to read, I, I would go to the library and take out the max amount of books, 20 books, even when I was four years old. I couldn't read them, but I just loved to hold books and, and understand books. And I've been writing since I was you know, very, very young. I always wanted to write a book and I published my first book in 2013 and then after that my second book in 2017 and now my third book which is a little bit unusual is happening this year and the writing process which I think people don't understand is you have to treat writing like anything else you have to show up for it um, and I think what people think about when they think about writing is they have to be in a mood they have writer block none of that exists 
people always ask, you know, what's the secret behind writing or writing a book? And the true secret is you just have to write, you know, a lot of what you put out there isn't going to be good, but writing is the art of taking out what's inside of you and putting it on paper and then editing it and refining it. But sometimes I'll just write, I call it throwing up. I'll just throw up words on a paper and then I won't look at that paper for six months. And then I go back and not only did I forget what I actually put on the paper, but you take the good parts and you leave the bad parts. So, you know, people are always wondering, how do I get, how do I become a better writer? How do I write a book? Well, just, just try writing and don't be happy with your first draft. It's never going to look perfect, but that's not what writing should be. It should be a messy piece of art that you continuously refine. I think especially with your new book concept, finally the bride, and <laughs> congrats getting married yourself. And now you explain, cause you it's concepts that are you're voting on or the community is voting on and then you're now releasing chapters one at a time. Yeah. So when I got engaged in last July, I thought to myself, I cannot possibly plan a wedding on my own. Not only that, but I was getting so frustrated because everyone had an opinion for me, whether people I knew, people I met on park benches. And one day I just got so frustrated. I built the website, Finally the Bride, where I put up every wedding decision ever and I allowed strangers to vote on it. So essentially vote, people were voting on how my wedding would look, when it would be, where it would be but also some pre-wedding challenges for my fiance and I, like, should we get a prenup? Should we do some sort of wedding challenge? You know, things that would really help us throughout the engagement process. And millions of strangers came and they voted and every single month I released new votes. Now the catch is my whole wedding that they planned was for October and well, that's not happening anymore. So now we're back to square one and people are now voting on the backup plan. Should we do a virtual wedding? Should we wait? Should we elope? So I'm leaving it up to strangers. And in the meantime, I am writing about not only the process of it, but also what they voted on and how I went off and did it and what that was like. So one of the things they voted on was that my fiance and I should go to a financial counselor and work through any financial problems or disagreements we have before we get married. So I write a chapter about that. People said that we should examine the prenup process. I'm writing a chapter about that. I'm also writing chapters about the stress of being engaged that no one really talks about, the loneliness of it, the decisions you have to make, also the price tag of getting married. And the, the way that I'm doing this book, which is unlike any other book I've ever written, is I'm releasing it chapter by chapter. And why I'm doing that is because one, I know I'm looking at my bookshelf, I have a ton of books on there. Sometimes I read a chapter a month and then I put the book away for a while. And I find that releasing a chapter every month not only allows people to read it in doses, but also be involved. So a big part of the book is that reader's advice goes in the book, votes go in the book. So it's more of an interactive hands-on kind of book than anything else that I've ever done before. And it's been really fun. It's also been a great way to hold me accountable is to get a chapter out every 15th of the month. I send a chapter out because these are paying customers here, right? So it's been really good to be able to show up and to deliver this book chapter by chapter. It's a fun real time way of writing this book that if I didn't do it this way, you know, I don't think it would be the same concept. And do you feel that there's anything that really that you just want to own? Like I really just want to own the flowers or the food and just not have it vote. Is there anything that comes up like that? Yeah. I mean, literally the, the only thing I care about, and this is so frustrating is that I just want pizza. I don't want, I don't care about anything else but pizza. And what was so frustrating was 
we would call caterers and be like, okay, we want pizza. Can you help us? And they'd be like, oh, you don't want pizza. You can't have pizza at your wedding. And I'd be like, listen, this isn't going to go anywhere. Nice to talk to you. Goodbye. And <laughs> what I learned from that process was like the wedding industry, they all want you to go into this certain box and they want you to do what everyone else is doing. And people try to tell you what you want. And when I would call these vendors, I never told them who I was. I never, ever, ever disclosed that. But I was kept thinking to myself, you know, like, you guys are trying to convince me of something that I know, I really know I don't want. And it was so funny because it took a lot of phone calls to find someone who was like, you want pizza? That's what we're going to do. And because that was such a hard process, like it shows how much is wrong with this wedding industry. Um, but that's like the only thing I care about. If there was, if I had a wedding where there wasn't pizza, I think I would absolutely feel like I didn't belong there. <laughs> And that's just the simple fact. Anything else about the wedding, I could care less. I don't care if there's flowers. I don't even care if there's like dessert. I just need unlimited pizza. And to be honest with you, I would be happy if the pizza was like Domino's or Papa John's. Like I don't even need fancy pizza. I just need pizza. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite topping? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So I am a firm believer in cheese only. However... Whoa. I know, but to spice things up, garlic, but I will, so I like a good cheese pizza, but then I put tons of red pepper. Like the whole thing is covered in red pepper. Okay. Do you have a favorite spot in New York City? Yeah, you know, I think I live in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, and since being quarantined, every Friday night, we have a tradition where we get Joe's Pizza, which is popular from being in the West Village and places like that. So we go to Joe's Pizza every Friday night. We eat three slices. It is each. It is never enough. And that's become like my go-to place. I look forward to it every single week. And I <laughs> when I woke up this morning, I thought to myself, one more day until Joe's Pizza. <laughs> so that's my go-to spot right now. Awesome. Um, do you also find like, especially right now, brides are just like, I just want to get married. Like, I don't want the big fancy wedding yeah you know I find that I think people are becoming more accepting of the fact that this big fancy wedding they want won't happen for a while and the more they ignore that the more money they're going to lose the more deposits they're going to lose the more stress they're going to have and I've always thought this I've always preached this is it's not about the wedding it's about you and your partner and the most magic I mean, I've been to hundreds hundreds of weddings and the most magical part is always the ceremony it's the exchanging of, look, we're making a promise to go on an adventure together. But people lose sight of that. They think it's more about, you know, how the place settings are going to look and if people are dancing on the dance floor. So in a way, I think this is stripping down all of the nonsense and it's making people realize that in the end, the most special part about this day is you and your partner taking that commitment to be with each other. And the other special part, of course, is the people you have around you because those are the people who you want to say, hold me accountable, you know, celebrate life with me. And I think that's the hardest part. So I do think a lot of people are thinking about, you know, how do we just elope and maybe have a party later? And how do we bring the people we mostly care about? You know, I was making my guest list and I sound like I know everything about weddings, but even my own guest list got out of control. I started putting people on there because I felt bad not inviting them or I felt like I had to or my parents just like added 65 people who I don't even know. And it became so out of control. And if I had to strip it down, if I had to get married tomorrow with just 10 people, in a way, I feel like maybe I'd be happier because 
when you have this guest list of 200 people, when 50 of them you're obligated to invite, it doesn't seem genuine in the, you know, at the end. I don't know if you have any tips. Uh, I was supposed to go to a wedding in, uh, being a bridesmaid in a wedding in March. And now like, what do I do with the dress? Like, just there. I I would resell it. I would resell it. I mean, I don't think there's a market for it now, but when things start to get back to normal, I would try to resell it because there's a lot of great places where you can get maybe like 50% of the price back that people will buy secondhand dresses, especially if they haven't been worn. But that's the other thing that's just crazy is you are asking your best friends. You're asking the people who mean the most to you to spend no joke, 200 or $300 plus alterations on a dress they will wear once. That's not friendship. And I'm sorry to be so blunt about that, but it annoys me. It annoys me because like you all, because you also know the financial, some of you know how, what your financial burdens your friends have and you still ask that. And even if you don't know, everyone is sort of suffering financially right now. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is for 2021 and beyond, don't think that any of this wedding industry stuff is a must have. You know, when you are bringing your best friends to celebrate this journey with you, just remember that they don't need to have a bridesmaid dress to be a bridesmaid. They don't need to do all, do all of these things to have that role. Essentially that role is that they're there to support you and cheer you on and be there for you because it sucks. Like I have over 50 bridesmaid dresses in my closet and a lot of them I had to buy for friends. Some of them I got on the job. But it's like, why does that chiffon dress define my role? Preach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. I guess switching a little bit topic off weddings, unless you have anything else you want to share, get off your chest. I could go on and on, but I'm going to leave it at that because I know, you know, obviously there's a lot of women listening to this podcast and some of you are engaged, some of you are single, some of you are married, but still, I mean, just take a step back and, and think about what the wedding industry is trying to tell you versus what you want. And that's it. And call me if you need advice. I'm happy to set you straight and save you money because, you know, these things shouldn't be so expensive. Do you enjoy that you kind of got into this. Like you didn't even expect it. You know, I think why I like it is because I was never transformed by the wedding industry. I never liked weddings. So I think when I got into it, I said to myself, you know what, always stay true to the fact that you think a lot of this is nonsense. And I think that's why a lot of people who work with me, they, they like working with me is because I'm not a wedding vendor. I'm not going to try to upsell you on the higher cost flowers. I'm an outsider who's going to look at the contracts and say to you, this person is overcharging you, or you really do not need $20,000 worth of flowers. Nobody sees them. They go in the garbage. So I think I've always brought that outside perspective, almost like that misfit perspective. And I think that's why people enjoy working with me. But I also think that getting into this industry has sort of shown me how it's become less about what it should be and more about how it looks on Instagram. And in the end, so what? You have an Instagrammable wedding. Now you're in debt, but you missed the whole point of it. And I just, I like being honest about that. Yeah. And I liked that I recently saw that you did like a FaceTime photo session, uh, engagement photo session for yourself. Yeah. You know what? We've been engaged. This month will be a year and we're so behind on everything. So I have a friend who's a photographer and she's like, let's just do it over FaceTime. And that was cool because 
The thing with also wedding planning in 2020 is you can do a lot of things virtually. So you can go dress shopping virtually. They'll show you dresses. They'll ship you options. You can do cake testing. They'll ship you cake. You know, you can do a lot of these things virtually as well, which I find cool because now you can source vendors that are far away from you. You know, you can source cake vendors that are very far and maybe save more money. You know, you're not limited to your local area, which I think is cool because again, you will get better prices when you can price shop. And I find that to be something that a lot of brides and grooms might not always do. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. But again, the switch off weddings a little bit, I wanted to know definitely a little bit more about what that was like in terms of you living in a new city every month for two years, what that journey looked like for you. Yeah. So my fiance and I, back when we had only been dating for a year, it was that thing when you live in New York, you both have separate apartments. Our leases were up. We were about to move in together. And I panicked. I was like, I can't move in with you and settle down. I I can't live this life. And we both thought to ourselves, well, okay, we both work remotely. So why are we going to sign a lease in New York City? You know, we both are a little bit adventurous and we thought, why not travel? So ultimately what we decided to do was we sold 90% of our belongings. I got rid of everything except for maybe three or four garbage bags of clothes and books. And we spent two years living in a new city every couple of months. We didn't have a car. We didn't have a lease. And every couple of months we would just pack up and we would go to a new city. We would plant down there for a month or maybe even a couple of months and we would continue on. And we did Portland, Austin, Denver, Chicago, multiple parts of LA, parts of New York City that we never lived in, more places as well. And it was the most incredible journey of my entire life. Um, It broke my routine. I no longer had a routine. It made me have to set boundaries with, okay, I'm going to work till this time. I'm going to get everything done, not going to linger, and then I'm going to explore the city. It allowed me to transform my social life because I felt very socially anxious and shy. And now I'm in these new cities and I had to show up at these events where I knew nobody and meet friends. And that was a really good way of testing my comfort zone. Um, It was also really scary to have to live in a new place that you never knew. Like I'm a bit of a, I like my home the way I like it. You know, I'm very particular. And here I was entering other people's apartments off of Airbnb or Craigslist or Facebook groups and living there for a month. And you never know what you're going to find. It's always a little bit uncomfortable. And that was hard for, for us, but it was also really fun. And it lasted two years. The only reason I guess why it ended was just because I think we felt like, you know what, we've, we've done it a lot. Um, why not just try living in Brooklyn? And we, we sublet here and then this pandemic happened and now we've been here, you know, we've been, I've been in this apartment in Brooklyn since March and normally I travel, no joke, once or twice a week. I have not left this apartment or this local neighborhood since March. This has been the longest time I've sat still and I think it's been really challenging, but also really, really good to just sort of flip the switch on that. But The adventure was great. I don't recommend it to people because I can't really tell you if it'll fit your life, but I will say it's not as glamorous as you think it is. You know, you do lose stuff. Like you lose out on seeing your real friends all of the time and you lose out on maybe building community in just one spot and you lose out on things for sure, but you also break out of your comfort zone. You see the world and you start to see that maybe the city you're living in is not the greatest city in the world. No offense to New York City, but I fell madly in love with cities I had never been to or or ever knew I wanted to go to. And that was really cool. I feel like that could be a book in itself. I know. Everyone always asks about that. And I don't know why I haven't written about it. I think to me, it was 
you know, there, there's a lot of stories from the adventure, but I just feel like it was such a personal journey that I can't even describe in words because it was almost like I was running away from a lot of, there's a lot of things like happening in my personal life. And it was like my way of running away from it all. So I think I need to process it a little bit more, but I would love to write about it because it did bring me to cities that just were incredible. I mean, I fell in love with Portland, Oregon, which I had never I been love to. love that city. But I never knew anything about it. Never. And we were just like, Portland, Oregon, let's go. And I have to tell you, I think about Portland at least once a week. I love it. I love that city. It's so fun. So quirky. It, beyond. And I just, I fell madly in love with it. I really did. Same. So. Uh, I love their food. I, I'm going to say it. I feel like way better than New York. And I think it's just, it, it, I read an article about this like years ago. I think it's like the price points, especially with LA and New York. It's just the rent's too high. And then chefs are venturing outwards to other cities that are less, like more affordable. Yeah, the food and I felt that, that there. It, yeah, it's less expensive. I find it to be like really great community, great people. You're so close to Washington and other places that you can travel to. I mean, I, I love it. We always think we always think about should we move back there, but we're desperate to go back there. <laughs> Even okay. if we have to road trip, I'm like, I need to just go, go see some Portland. I love like the concept of not only just the whole experience of itself, but it felt like when you were talking about it, just like that concept of a story behind breaking your routine Mm -hmm. and what that's like. And then even now coming back, almost like the universe telling you with COVID, I needed a routine in in a way. And I needed to. You know, it was crazy because right when I started this adventure, which was probably not smart, I also started going to therapy and my therapist was like, are you kidding me? Like where you are at in your life, you should not be doing this. She's like, you need routine. You need normalcy. And I was like, that's great. I will be going to this city next month and we'll talk again. (laughs) And then, you know, when I finally came back and had that routine again, she noticed like a big change just in like how I was responding. And I'm a big believer in breaking your routine, breaking comfort zone. And I do think it takes you, you have to be always on both sides of the coin with that. But I know for me personally, it was the only thing I had to do during that time. I had to break that routine. I was walking around the same blocks every day, eating at the same places every day, doing the same things every day. Why are you living in the city you're living in? You know, and I think that I needed to sort of escape that and break up with that. So I do think it's good to have a routine. I do think it's good to have, you know, settle down a little bit, but I also think it's always good every couple of years to flip that all over or else the world's going to do it for you anyway. So that's sort of my way of being like, all right, I'm going to do this before the world screws me over or while the world is screwing me over, which was fun. (laughs) Yeah. I think my question followed to that was what you learned from it. You touched on a lot of topics and learnings from that whole experience. Was there a favorite of just exploring? I I think that, I think what I learned the most from it is that you can easily break your habits and you can break what's important to you. Like, for example, I always thought, you know, it was so important to like, this is going to sound bizarre, but I always thought it would be important to, to live in a very clean apartment. And then I, there I was blending in and living in a very dirty apartment with roaches and like, you know, all of this stuff and you just sort of deal with it. So I, I found that like my tolerance level for my comfort just like went up and yeah, I think that you can really break your habits and break out of who you are. You know, I've always said this, and I truly believe this, you never should feel stuck. 
there's always a way out. There's always a way to change. There's always a way to pivot. And oftentimes it's by doing something backward. So if you're always walking that one street every day, walk another direction. And not only will you see different things, but you will physically change because now you are breaking out of a routine. So don't, you don't have to do something extreme, like sell your belongings and live on the road. You could literally just switch a lot of the things you're doing. You know, if you always wake up at 7 a.m. and you find yourself not being able to have everything you want to do every day, maybe try waking up at 5 a.m., break your routine, and those two extra hours, that's two extra hours of life you have. So I always feel like if you do, what I learned is that you are never really stuck. Um, you don't have to run away very far, but you have to just break out of your routine. I did want to talk about some of the things you uh, teach and speak about often, which is personal branding and public speaking. Yeah. Maybe dive a little bit into the personal branding part first. What are some of your maybe top tips for building your personal brand? Yeah, I, I really do mean this when I say it. Every single person needs a personal brand. You know, in my career history, I've been laid off. I've lost projects. I've not gotten jobs because all I had was a resume and cover letter. You need more than that. You know, most people, when I ask them for their personal assets, they're like, what do you mean, a resume? And it's like, no, you are far more than just a one-page resume. You just don't uncover that about yourself. So I decided, I created this course a couple of months ago. It's a four-week course. You build your brand. But mainly what it does is it asks you tough questions that you've never asked yourself. And through those tough questions, you get to know you. You get to know your skill set. You get to fully understand your value. It really pushes people to open up toward what they want, but also to foolproof their career. Because if you get laid off tomorrow, it's going to be really hard to get a job with just a resume and a cover letter. You need a website for yourself. You need to use social media in a, in a way that you're comfortable with to showcase what you're reading, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're sharing. You know, you need to use the tools out there in 2020 to get new opportunities. And I think that you can't have a personal brand until you know yourself. So that's a lot of what the course is. Then of course teaches you how to launch that brand. But you know, I do like to tell people whether or not you take the course or not, you need to figure out who you are. You need to take inventory on yourself because if you get laid off, if you want to change careers, those things are going to help you. A lot of what I've been doing for the past couple of years is a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I, I love coaching people who are like, I am in this industry and I want to go to a completely new industry, but they don't know how. And the biggest thing I tell them is write down every single skill, every single thing you do at that job, and then draw parallels to the new industry. If you're a nurse and now you want to go into digital marketing, there's hundreds of things you can take from being a nurse. You understand people and your audience and, all you, and how to communicate, and you can bring that into marketing. So that's what I like to sort of, sort of teach people is you have to know yourself to own yourself and get opportunities. Now, on the flip side, the number one skill people should have is the skill of public speaking, because you can't run from it, you can't hide from it, it's always going to show up. But a lot of us are not great public speakers, and why should we be? We don't do it often. I'm somebody who I mentioned earlier, I was painfully shy for about half of my life. And I didn't, there's no magic trick, how did I get unshy, is I put myself in uncomfortable situations, and I learned that there are exact techniques and skills you need, and if you master those, speaking is really easy. So... I also teach a course 
where I help people with public speaking because that is a skill you will always need. And once you're able to control your nerves and know what you are already doing right and what you can improve on, it's a skill that will last for the rest of your life. It's a skill that will carry you on job interviews. It's a skill that when you meet a new person, you'll be able to communicate about yourself to that person. So those are really the two, the two different things I like to help people with just because I have found that throughout my career, having a personal brand has helped get opportunities, but it's also helped me understand my mission, my value, my goals. And public speaking has been something that I'm glad I was able to figure out because it's helped me as well. But again, I'm coming at this from a perspective of once being painfully shy as well. So the course is something that I'm very proud of. Yeah, and I know you just recently launched the public speaking course. Mm-hmm. And do you have any like teasers of like, I feel you, uh, the nerves get me or what makes a good, you know, speaker, any teaser tips? Yeah, you know, so the thing about nerves is they're not necessarily real. They're happening because of two things. Number one, your thoughts. And your thoughts, your brain is your most loyal friend. So if you tell your brain, brain, I don't want to speak, I don't feel like speaking, I'm nervous, your brain's going to go, oh, you're feeling not great about yourself, let's show you how that feels. And the second reason why you're nervous is because you're not breathing. When we get nervous, our breath becomes, we don't, we don't take a lot of quality deep breaths. And because of that, you turn red, you shake, you sweat. Those are symptoms of lack of breathing. So a lot of the things that people dread about public speaking that happens to them when they speak are completely fixable, but they have to understand why they're happening. So I always encourage people, stop saying you are a nervous speaker because now you're just wrapping yourself in a blanket that you can't get out of. But instead say, okay, here's what happens to me when I get nervous and here's the why behind my nerves. And what I mean by that is, okay, I feel nervous because I'm speaking to three CEOs and they're responsible for X, Y, and Z. I'm nervous today because honestly, that person in the back of the room, they know more about this topic than I do. So what is making you nervous? And usually the answer has something to do with you and your ego and your self-confidence and your imposter syndrome. And once you break that down, that's great because there's tons of easy solutions. So I always like to say that, you know, a lot of people come to the course or to the class and they start off by saying, I'm here because I hate public speaking. Great. We have to figure out why. So part one is unpacking your relationship to public speaking, figuring out your why and prepping you to now go through the journey of learning the skills and and techniques you need to become a better speaker. How long have you been speaking? I have been so actually when I graduated college, I was a poetry major. That was mistake number one. And everyone would ask me, they were like, what do you want to do next? And my answer was, I want to be a motivational speaker. And I remember so many people like industry people were like, that's great. But you're 21 or 22 years old. You have nothing to speak about. You have no experience, no life experience, no perspective. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I guess when I started speaking was right around the time when I launched my first book. I think that's when I started putting myself out there, speaking in little different stores and event spaces in New York City to promote the book, starting to do interviews on radio and TV. This was before podcasting was a big thing, so there weren't podcasts. But I think when I launched the book, that was my first opportunity to start doing some speaking. And, you know, since then I have refined the skills. I have fallen madly in love with public speaking. And now I've had the opportunity to travel and speak on bigger stages in front of thousands of people. And I absolutely love every minute of it. And it's interesting because I always think about if the 11 year old version of myself saw this, they would probably pass out because they wouldn't believe it. 
And here's the thing about public speaking is you tap into your personality and who you are and you amplify it. In real life, I'm honestly a little bit shy. I'm a little bit socially awkward. My mom, she watches some of the videos I do and she's like, this is, your, your, this is like not even you, you know? It's the same person, but you're amplifying yourself. And that's a big key to it is if you practice that a lot, when you step on stage, you can turn that side of you on. But it's okay if you're shy and you're socially anxious and you're an introvert. You can still really show up strongly when you speak. I wanted to touch a little bit about your podcast, uh, You're Not Getting Any Younger. I love that concept. And I guess what are some of like the highlights from that journey of like what you've learned, the growth like recently over the years from, from this community and this podcast? Yeah, so it's interesting because I started the podcast from the Facebook group. And I started the Facebook group because over two years ago, I think it was probably about two and a half years, yeah, two and a half years ago, it was Thanksgiving. And it was probably one of the hardest times of my life. My, my, something was happening in my life. It was very traumatic, very rough. And I remember just sitting in my bed on Thanksgiving, spending four to five hours scrolling through social media feeling horrible about my life. You know, I didn't have a family situation to spend Thanksgiving with and the world was just, my world, my world was falling apart and I felt awful. I remember I got in the shower and that's when I, I like to talk to myself in the shower. I remember thinking to myself, pull out of this gen, like there's so much you can't control. There is so much bad happening that you can't fix, but you also can't sit there and compare and contrast your life. And I remember just like yelling at myself, like, Jen, you're not getting any younger. Like you have to just pull out of this funk, this depression. And instantly that night I started a Facebook group. There was nobody in it called you're not getting any younger. And my goal was to build this community where I could show up for people, but people could also show up themselves and be like, Hey, let's motivate each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's open up to each other about what's happening in this world with each other. And I felt like it could be a safe space for people. I didn't have anything like that before. I felt like I had a blog, but that was just me talking to people. And I felt like I had a business, but that was me selling things to people. And I desperately wanted something free that people could come to with no strings attached. So I launched it as a Facebook group in November. And I knew I wanted to start a podcast, but I was scared. I didn't know if I'd be good at it. I didn't know if it was for me. So I promised myself that before my 30th birthday, I would have one episode out. And I launched the podcast right before my 30th birthday in the month of March. And now we are over 120 episodes. And it's been a really cool adventure because, you know, the cool thing about having a podcast, especially when you interview people, is you get to meet people that you don't know. And I feel like it's been a great way of just meeting people, hearing their stories and building this community. My favorite thing in the world is to hear from people that they got something out of the community, whether it's a new job, a new friend, a new piece of motivation or advice, or just a safe space to be. And I feel like in social media and even with the world, we don't always have that. I've always felt like I never had a ton of friends in life, but I've made some really strong friends over the internet, which I know sounds weird, but like some of the people, like I have actually met my, my current best friend, Molly, I met her through the internet first, you know? So like, I felt like maybe I could create a space like that. And it's been, it's been probably one of the most rewarding things I've done in the last couple of years. And I'm, it's probably one of the things I'm the most proud of too. Yeah, I love Molly. Yeah, she's, <laughs> I, oh, she's my best friend. You know, we're, we've been friends for a while and we're tough on each other. We're honest with each other. And we talk on the phone and they, the, the hours just fly by. And I met Molly 
Molly had a blog called Smart Pretty Awkward that she started in like the late 2000s. And I read it, I reached out to her, and somehow we built a friendship that has just, I'm so grateful to know her. Yeah, I love that blog. And I think she turned it into a podcast now. Did. She yes. did, yes. Hallelujah, it's back. I know. I, I was like, you don't understand how many people have been waiting for this. Yeah, I loved it. Um, but I guess taking a few minutes to do some fun wrap-up questions. Let's get started on brunch, topic of food. Do you love brunch? I'll be honest and say no, only because I'm a lifelong vegetarian, mostly vegan, but I have pizza. So I feel like when I go to brunch, it's very hard for me to eat. And I don't like to talk about it. Like, I don't like to show up and be like, oh, I don't eat anything on the menu. So usually when I go to brunch, if people don't know that I am a very picky eater, I get my standard like toast and fruit and oatmeal kind of thing. And I'm very happy with it. So I, you know what, my, my meal of choice is always pizza. But if someone invites me to brunch, I like a good fruit salad. I like anything carb. So if they have stacks of bread, I'll just eat the bread. But yeah, that's my, because it's hard. Brunch is hard when you're vegetarian. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Do you like eggs? I don't eat eggs. Okay. I'm like the world's picky eater. I feel very, like, I've just been such a picky eater. I, my, my eating is I eat vegan yogurt in the morning. I eat peanut butter in the afternoon. And then dinner is either, like, some type of pasta with vegetables or pizza or hummus. Like, that's literally all I eat. All I, eat. <laughs> I feel like that's my first no on brunch. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. Uh. Well, we did talk about pizza. I'll take it. Yeah. If you invite me to a brunch where there's pizza, it'll be the greatest day of my life. And I will start to love brunch. But I've only been invited to these brunches where it's like eggs and, you know, bacon. And I love the smell of, of bacon, but I don't, I can't have it. So that's also a reason why it's so painful is people are like eating these amazing foods. And I'm like, oh, I got to eat my toast and my, my fruit. So. <laughs> I think there's one in Manhattan. It's, I think, a prefix called Soto 13, and I think it's very mostly Italian pizzas. Ooh, I gotta get there. When this yeah. world changes, <laughs> I gotta get there. I'm into it. And next question is, since this is the Brunch and Learn podcast, uh, we talked about food, but I also wanted to learn, I guess, ask you, what is one thing that you learned this week? And it could be anything. Yeah, I, so this has been a, a crazy week. We got a puppy in March and this was the time, this month was the time when the puppy had to get spayed, which is like actually a major surgery for a dog. People downplay it. And what I learned from this experience was that um, you have to have patience. You know, when we picked her up, she was very sick, not feeling good. And you have to just sort of have patience and also the understanding that everything will change. Everything will eventually get better. And um, it's been cool seeing her progress. Now she's back to normal, and but she can't really move around. So that's been sort of a headache. But I think I learned that you have to have patience this week and you have to understand that things will always get better, even if right now they're a little sicky or painful or not good. And I know this is crazy, but to me, she's like my everything. I spent all night, the night she got home, I held her hand the whole night. Her eyes were wide open the whole night because she was in so much pain. I just kept telling her, like, this is going to pass. This, when this night's over, you're going to be over the hump. And I just, that advice, I try to tell myself during tough times, too. I think, finally, to tell the listeners, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, 
fun. Well, you can come hang out with me in the You're Not Getting Me Younger Facebook group. You can hang out with me on Instagram at Jen Glance. You can see my classes at at Jen Glance. And you can check out the books, Always Surprise Me for Hire. All my friends are engaged on Amazon. And you can go see the Finally the Bride voting system, which you can vote on, and the book at finallythebride.com. And of course, bridesmateforhire.com. That's, oh, and the podcast, You're Not Getting Any Younger. I think that's it just come say hello. Even if you want to email me and say, hi, I love, I love emails. I'm bad at answering fast, but I will answer jenglance at gmail.com. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I'm gonna, I have my fruit bowl and my toast. That's my brunch of the day. So I'm going to continue on with that, but thank you for having me.